Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Grace takes sinners and makes them saints. Grace takes rebels and makes them willing subjects. Grace takes haters and makes them lovers. Grace takes the proud and makes them humble. Grace takes the children of wrath and makes them the children of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, in a message titled, Saved by Grace. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In them. All right, it's great to see everyone this morning. We are going to be looking specifically at verses 8 and 9 and also touching on verse 10. So let me read those once again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we come once again to the bright and beautiful hues in the picture Paul is painting for us of God's great salvation. Having given us a picture of our true and desperate condition by nature, that of being spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, in league with and under the dominion of the devil, all of us children who have merited nothing but the wrath of God, hopelessly lost and utterly incapable of doing anything to change our condition. That's the picture Paul had been painting, but then he reminded us that God stepped in, but God who is rich and mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when this was our state, 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. He said that in the fifth verse. Now here in the eighth verse, Paul states the same thing, but he elaborates now further upon what he had already said. By grace you have been saved, but now he adds through faith, that not of yourselves, that is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So let's break that down together today, beginning with the word saved. Saved, what a, what a wonderful word it is. We find it many times over in the scripture. It's a wonderful word to those who are saved. It's a mysterious word to some that aren't saved. It's, um, it's a negative word to people who don't believe they need to be saved. But to those who are saved, oh, it's a great and wonderful word. And the word saved, notice, is in the past tense. We have been saved. But as we think of salvation, we can think of it in the past, present, and future. Because that's really, it's, it's all included in our salvation. There's a, there's a past aspect to it, there's a present aspect to it, and there is yet a future aspect to it. So looking back into the past, we say that we have been saved, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin was spiritual death. We've been brought to life. We've been saved out of that. Along with that penalty of sin, there was the guilt of sin. And we lived under the burden of that guilt. So we've been saved from that. We use that terminology. We have been saved. But it's also accurate to say that we are being saved. We are being saved presently from the power of sin. That power that sin once had over us, that power has been broken. And God, by his spirit, is continuing to liberate us. He's continuing to set us free. So we are being set free progressively from the power of sin. And yet there's also a future aspect to our salvation. We can look forward and say, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be saved from the presence of sin. You see, we're saved now, but we still have with us the presence of sin. Sin is still here. But one day we will be saved from sin in the entire sense that the presence of sin will no longer be an issue for us. So when we talk about being saved, when Paul says here, by grace you have been saved, that's what he's really talking about. So we can confidently say that we have been saved. It's, it's something that's happened in the past. It's, it's a done deal. But yet we can also say we're being saved and we will be saved in the future. Saved is a perfect participle. I'm quoting from John Stott. He said, it emphasizes the abiding consequences of God's saving action in the past, as if Paul should say, you are people who have been saved and remain saved forever. We have been saved. We can confidently say that. Some time ago, years ago, I was out in 
my garage actually and a couple of young guys pulled up on their bicycles and wanted to talk to me about spiritual things. And uh, we started to talk and we started to talk about salvation and so forth. And I, I said to them, I said, well, you know, I'm actually saved. And they sort of scoffed at that. They thought that that was humorous, that I thought a person could be saved because in their minds, they're working their way into whatever their perception of salvation happened to be. Actually, the fact that they rode up on their bikes and were gonna knock on my door, that was part of the work that they were doing to eventually be saved. So in their minds, there was no idea that saved could be something that was already accomplished. And as they scoffed at it, I just simply turned to, I had my Bible there, I just turned to my Bible and I pointed the path to the passage that we're looking at here. I said, well, look, it says right here, it says saved. So we are saved. There, there are many people, even, even in the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, there are many people that don't have the confidence to say that they're saved. They, they say, well, I, I'm trying to be saved. I, I'm hoping that I will be saved. But listen, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are saved. Past tense, it's done. He saved you. And what he did in the past, it has ramifications, or as Stott said there, it has consequences all the way out into the future. So you can rest in that. Some people say, well, it sounds a little bit arrogant that you think you're saved. Wow, you must be a really holy person. No, not at all. If I thought I was saved because I was such a good person, that would certainly be arrogance. But I know I'm saved. I know it's a done deal, so to speak. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a pastor. I'm saved because of what Jesus did, and I've just put my trust in him. That's how the Bible tells us that we get saved. And that's what Paul is saying here once again as he is magnifying God's gift of salvation to us. So, saved, but saved by grace. Grace, the grace of God. The grace of God is such a wonderful concept. It's, it's something that we, of course, we're familiar with, and at least the, the term grace. But I find that quite often, we don't really even know the magnificence of God's grace. We, we don't know the full implications of it. And, and it's, it's a little bit difficult because it's such a rich and magnificent idea. It's hard to express in just a few words just what it is we're talking about. I, I said to Cheryl last night or yesterday when I was preparing, I said, hey, give me your best one-sentence description of grace. And she came off immediately with the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense. And she knew that I wanted more than that, but she just said it really quickly. And I said, okay, yes, of course, we, we, we've all heard that, but give me something better than that. I mean, that's good. I'm not saying it's not good. It is good. It's accurate as well. But is there a way to, to even maybe in a sentence or a small paragraph to, to describe it? And so I came up with this, but it's really based on what's being said here in the text, 
Grace is the bestowing of mercy, love, kindness, favor, and blessing upon the undeserving. There's two things to emphasize here, the undeserving, and that's usually what we do emphasize. We say in defining grace, we say grace is God's unmerited favor, favor that we did not work for. Actually, if you want to look at merit, we merited wrath. We did not merit favor. So we say grace is God's unmerited favor. That is true. But the emphasis there is on the unmerited part. But we also need to put the emphasis on grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is not just a little bit of favor, not just a little bit of kindness, not just a little bit of blessing. The word itself implies an abundance, this, this wealth that God has bestowed upon us. Someone put it this way in a song. Grace takes the blame, covers the shame, removes the stain. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. I think that's well put. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Grace takes the blame. We were to be blamed, but by God's grace, Jesus took the blame for us. He stood in our place. He took the blame. He took the the punishment. Grace covers the shame. The things that we have done in our rebellion against God and in our lust and in our self-seeking, they're shameful things. But God's grace covers that shame Those depraved things have have left a stain upon our lives, but the grace of God removes the stain. The grace of God truly makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace takes sinners and makes them saints. Grace takes rebels and makes them willing subjects. Grace takes haters and makes them lovers. Grace takes those who hate God and turn them into lovers of God. Grace takes the proud and makes them humble. Grace takes the children of wrath and makes them the children of God. Now, in case you didn't know this, grace is one of the unique features of the Christian faith. I say one of the unique features because there are many aspects of the Christian faith that are unique. You don't find them in any other religion, but grace is especially that. As a matter of fact, there is nothing like it found in any other religion. You can search the world over high and low. You can look at every religion there is today or ever has been in history, and you will find that every religion has this one thing in common. The one thing that every religion has in common is that acceptance with God is based upon human merit. You work, you earn your way into God's favor through some process, through some ritual, through some set of deeds or whatever the case might be. This is, this is common with all religions. The only exclusion, or the only one excluded from that, is the gospel. The gospel has a completely different picture. 
This is one of the reasons that I believe the gospel is what it claims to be. It's God's gospel. It's not man's gospel. Men did not invent this. They, they would have never come up with it. That you would have God doing all of the work and man doing nothing. All we do is admit that we can't help ourselves. And that's a difficult thing for anybody to do, isn't it? But that's what we do. We just simply admit that we're helpless and God does everything else that needs to be done. He does all of the, the heavy lifting, so to speak. He does the work of saving us. And he saves us not because we earn his favor. He saves us simply because he desires to save us. So the grace of God, by grace, you have been saved through faith. So faith is the means through which I experience this salvation that comes to me solely by the grace of God. Faith means simply trust or belief. Sometimes when we say faith, that the, the word faith in, in a lot of people's minds automatically makes them think of something religious. Oh, faith. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have faith. I'm not a person of faith. Well, are you a person of trust? Can you trust? Are you a person who can believe something? That's what faith is. Faith is just, it's simple. It's not a religious term. It's just, it, it's a synonym for trusting or believing. So this salvation that we're talking about, this becomes ours through faith. We put our faith in Christ or we trust Christ to have done what he says that he did which is make salvation possible through dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and so forth. So by grace you have been saved through faith. And then he says this, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now we have to get a little bit theological here today and we have to look closely at this next point here. So speaking of the gift of God, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Here's the question. Is the gift a reference to faith or is it a reference to salvation in the general sense? Now, there are good uh, grammatical reasons why the reference here has to be to salvation rather than faith, but I'm not going to emphasize that. Instead, I want to just look at the, the bigger picture of what we see in the Bible regarding salvation, regarding God's free gift and so forth. Now, I'm asking this question for a specific reason. There are different views among Christians. There's an in-house dispute over what is actually being taught here. So generally speaking, in answer to the question, is the gift a reference to faith or salvation? Generally speaking, the Calvinist would say the gift is a reference to faith, not to salvation. And the non-Calvinist 
would say the gift is salvation. Ironically, John Calvin, who would ostensibly be the founder of Calvinism, said the gift was salvation here, not faith. Let me quote directly from Calvin's commentary in the New Testament. He said, some commonly misinterpret this text and restrict the word gift to faith alone. But Paul is only repeating his earlier statement in other words. He does not mean that faith is the gift of God, but that salvation is given to us by God as a gift. Now, you might be wondering, why am I even bringing this up or going into this kind of detail on this? And the reason for that is this. One of the main distinctions between Calvinism or what some people would refer to as Reformed theology and what I believe to be the more biblical perspective on this aspect of salvation centers around this question. So even though you might not realize that this is a pretty huge issue in this debate that has gone on for centuries among Christians, let's look at it. If we say that the, the gift here that Paul's referring to is salvation, if we say that, there's really nothing complicated, confusing, or concerning about the statement. There are many places in the Bible already that tell us that salvation is the gift. The gift of God is eternal life, Paul writes to the Romans. Jesus spoke of, to the woman at the well, he spoke of the gift of God. If you knew who I was and the gift of God, he was speaking about the salvation that he would bring there. We can find other passages where Clearly, salvation is presented as being the gift of God. But if I say that the gift of God here is not salvation, but actually it's faith, this to me creates a whole lot of confusion about the nature of salvation, about how a person is saved, and about who can be saved. So follow me on this. If faith is God's gift and not salvation, then apart from God giving the gift of faith, no one can believe and be saved. So understand that. If, if this passage is saying, by grace you have been saved through faith, and the faith is not of yourself, but is, is the gift of God, then, of course, that means that uh, apart from God giving faith, no one can believe and be saved. Now, some might say, well, okay, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with this view is, number one, how could God hold a man responsible for his unbelief if God is the one that must enable him to believe, and without the gift of faith, believing is impossible? So this, this would create a, a dilemma in how could God really hold you responsible if you didn't believe, if you didn't have faith, if you could only have faith because God gives it to you as a gift, but if he decides to withhold the gift of faith, then how could you ultimately in the end be responsible for not having that which you had no capacity to have, no ability to have, and God didn't give it to you? Secondly, if God is not willing that any should perish, why then would he withhold the gift of faith from some?
for the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. Gender identity, same-sex marriage, and women empowerment are among the biggest social issues of our time. But there's also a worldwide injustice of slavery that has found its way into our homes and into our pockets. The slavery of pornography. Multitudes of men and women today are in bondage and enslaved to pornography. So how can men and women be liberated? Well, in his book, The Death of Porn, Ray Ortland shares wise and biblical advice as a father to a son, reminding us of our royal identity because of our relationship with God through Christ. To learn about how the bondage of pornography can be broken, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.